Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hampton and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Smackdown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Smackdown, but also Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Sidgwick and Hamplet to review SmackDown. And Hamplet, one of the best SmackDowns in recent memory. Yeah, I think this was the best episode of SmackDown in about two years. Like, the NXT episode was the only one I can think of that came even close. And it probably puts it up there as one of the best SmackDowns ever, being honest. Like, there's not been so many classic full episodes of SmackDown. Um, and yet, because it absolutely can be both, to sit down to review it is probably going to be to poke holes in it, or at least observe the holes that have already been poked by WWE's systemic failure. I thought this was a tremendous broadcast. Honestly, really, really good. And then I found myself feeling sad at how, and I know it's all ground, we do this every week, how fundamentally flawed the company is that I didn't feel like that invested to see too much next week. I thought the big angles were handled tremendously. Like I thought it was an actual craft throughout this episode as well. And it was like some of the stuff that we'd tried to put over earnestly on the preview. But yeah, I feel like next Friday is going to come around and there's still going to be more stuff there to take the piss out of. I loved it. And there was very little that I felt inspired me to think that they would dream of doing this next week or the week after or the week after when the circumstances and the environment weren't quite as special. This was had a vibe of it of being Raw Legends night, but the legend was the building. Mm. There's no excuse for this show not to hit a similar level of quality every single week. If you look at the history, the level of experience, how much money this promotion has to recruit stars, how many writers, and I know this doesn't work and it's not the way it should work, but in theory, how many writers they have with credentials and experience to get these stars over. This is the quality I expect from a WWE product every single week. And I'm not going to do cartwheels for um, them actually doing it once. <laughs> but it was very fitting that this was an MSG because it was a result to this match that just brought everything into awful focus about what this company actually is these days. But the highlights were indeed very high. It felt like a special night that this crowd were up for. And I'll tell you what, that the fact that this MSG crowd still has a little bit of fondness towards this product is probably more impressive than anything that happened <laughs> in terms of the content. Yeah, it was weird because I, I watched this show Saturday morning, adored it, got really jazzed, really, really, really happy about it all, super SmackDown and all, all that. And then, like you both say, after about 10 minutes afterwards, I was like, why can't it be like this every week? And not only why can't it be like this every week, why can't it be anywhere near this on Monday nights? Well, and, yeah. There's been 100 Dynamites. I'd put 70 above this, several of which were held in front of no fans. Like, 
This is very, very good when it peaked. And he did, as Hamford would say, put a little thought behind it. But, you know, this is bare minimum stuff. I Yeah, it can't be that rich. You can't have that much money. You can't have this roster and not deliver something approaching this every single week. Mm, yeah. Uh, right, let's talk about it. Anyway, uh, the show obviously opened uh, commemorating 9-11. And Pat McAfee had also returned on commentary following his absence. The show started properly, though, uh, with Roman Reigns and the bloodline coming out. Uh, long, long entrance, as always, from these guys. Taking their time to get down there, soaking in the atmosphere and it was red hot to be fair inside uh, msg and uh reigns gets on the mic and talks about the fact that wwe runs new york city bloodline runs wwe therefore reigns runs new york city and madison square garden gets a huge boo from the crowd a reaction uh just nice to hear uh, again after all these months that we didn't have any fans there uh reigns insists that the fans acknowledge him uh, and it's sort of mixed reaction, booze, but then a, a bit of a Roman chant amongst all that. Then Brock Lesnar's music hits, gets a huge reaction again from the fans. He comes down, gets in the ring, goes face to face with Roman Reigns. Uh, and then, of course, the Usos step in the way. Paul Heyman gets on the mic and he says, uh, Brock, great to see you back. Please go after any title other than a universal title, basically. And Lesnar responds, I like this sort of promo. I talked about this on the news with Andy this morning. Just short and sweet from Lesnar. He doesn't need a mouthpiece. All he's doing is grabbing a mic and threatening people. That's what he did. He grabbed the mic and asked why Paul Heyman didn't tell Reigns he was going to be at SummerSlam. We get a huge you've up chat, so much so that I thought I'd gone deaf for about 30 seconds watching the stream of this. Um, Paul Heyman tries to talk his way out of it, of course. But Roman Reigns is getting more and more suspicious and paranoid. He takes the title off Paul Heyman, who's been holding it for him, of course, and walks away. And uh, it's just uh, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar as the Usos follow Reigns out of the ring. Paul Heyman rolls back the years, does his Brock Lesnar introduction to try and, I don't know, curry favour, I suppose, but Lesnar says to Heyman that Reigns needs to accept his, or Heyman on behalf of Reigns, I should say, needs to accept his shot at the title. Suplex City chant. Brock Lesnar gives him five seconds. Heyman, uh, five seconds runs out. He gets picked up immediately for an F5 by Lesnar. But in comes Reigns, hits him with a Superman punch, uh, goes for another one, but Lesnar catches him, sets him up for an F5, but the Usos run in and uh, super kick Brock Lesnar. He doesn't go down. They go for it again. He uh, dodges it and hits them both with a double clothesline, suplexes them, and Reigns looks terrified as he goes up the ramp. Uh, post this, we had Kayla. Hey, Kayla! In the back, catching up with uh, the bloodline. Just Paul Heyman, though, speaks to her, saying he didn't know that Lesnar was going to be at SummerSlam and that Reigns would answer Lesnar when he's goddamn ready. Siege, what'd you make of this opener? Electric, electric. Brock Lesnar, any concerns that Brock Lesnar wouldn't be received as a babyface after all those years of curious criticisms where the failures of WWE were somehow projected onto Brock Lesnar, which was never the case. Everyone was like, oh, you know, they just had someone beat this indomitable monster, Brock Lesnar. Then the future's clear and superstars will be made. Well, Seth Rollins did it twice in 2019 <laughs> and he turned heel by October. <laughs> That was never we'll the problem. That Godzilla-looking ass. That Godzilla-looking bastard. <laughs> oh, God, what a cringe man. <laughs> Glad he's a heel, even if he's not that much more entertaining. Um, look, this is electric. Any concerns that Brock Lesnar couldn't play babyface because he was just so, like, not relatable at all. He's just a badass who's got an, a mischievous streak about him. I don't know if he's that bothered about Paul Heyman. I just think he's on the wind-up. They call it housery. And I think that's what we got out of Brock Lesnar here. It was entertaining. It was just, there's nothing better. Well, there are a few things better in pro wrestling, or at least in WWE, than like a Brock Lesnar cackle. I remember when he broke Shawn Michaels' arm <laughs> and ran away. Like, and just cackling because he loves being an arsehole. I just enjoyed his mischievous streak here. The showdown was electrifying. It was yet another uh, credit to how well they've booked Roman Reigns over the years. That Imagine saying that, oh, by the way, in 2021 after however many years of trying to get Roman over via Brock Lesnar, they're going to do a showdown in MSG of all places between Lesnar and Roman Reigns, and it's going to tear down the goddamn house. Mm. I mean, they've done an, aw an awesome job of presenting the two of them, and this was proper big-time stuff. 
that was dramatic that I could actually smile at. WWE, and I blame Edge for this, has become <laughs> either so wacky and asinine, and on the other end of the extreme, it's like, it's so goddamn serious. <laughs> Edge, my neck, my retirement, my life. My great, my great. <laughs> Big time, star-studded, genuinely entertaining, dramatic stuff. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely tremendous. Um, the they have done the obvious thing, and they've done it well. From the day that Paul Heyman linked up with Roman Reigns, it became a cool thing that they could one day um, visit. I guess narratively, Paul Heyman is has always been with Brock Lesnar, and now he's with somebody else. How's that's going to look? How that's going to feel? The last time we had a version of that, it worked really well with CM Punk, and they're going to do it again. Paul Heyman is excellent at trying to play both sides. He's really slimy by design. He's one of the few like very well-drawn characters, and it's what we've always said. WWE has so few of these that when you have a character that can overlap with different characters, you get stories like this. They're the ones that are the easiest to tell because you've kind of already done the work developing these gimmicks, and they come together perfectly. It's helpful that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns happen to be probably the two biggest stars the company have got as well. So that's ideal, and it's obviously taking place in like the perfect location for it. Um, they've just pitched all of this spot on thus far. So we know the motivations of Brock Lesnar and we know the motivations of Roman Reigns. And, you know, a lot of that is centered around the top title, which is always really helpful because John Cena didn't care about the belt, did he? So it's good that like the two of these two men actually want to hold on to that belt. Mm. But Paul Heyman's loyalties is exactly where you should go with this one when you're trying to find the drama in it. And I love that they've gone straight for it. It feels heated and it feels like a little bit of a mystery you're gonna leave every roman reigns brock lesnar paul Heyman confrontation conflab whatever you're gonna leave every single one on a little bit of a cliffhanger because nobody knows which way paul Heyman is going to go until he actually commits and that's pretty cool too wwe's rubbish at building suspense and i, I feel the suspense around this angle and that's that's nice and unfamiliar too can't believe we're on the road to Saudi Arabia already. No, no, it's going to be funny. <laughs> uh, right, we had some shenanigans backstage um, before we got the 10-man tag. Uh, it was Sami Zayn, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Otis and Apollo Crews versus King Nakamura, King Nakamura Rick Boogs, the Mysterios and Big E. Before the match started, Sami Zayn got, some, got on the mic. Love this. Uh, saying he loves New York and he's arranged for someone to come out and support his team who knows how to win in Madison Square Garden, to be in their corner. And he brings out Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks who did some basketball thing, I assume, because he got a hell of a reaction. The crowd absolutely hated this man. Uh, and this was just a fun tag, 10-man tag team match, basically. It felt very much like something you'd see on a house show. But, yeah, it was something you, you could have done with here, uh, I thought. Uh, heels uh, take the advantage. Otis knocks Nakamura off the apron, splashes him in the corner. They isolate Nakamura as we go to the ads. When we come back, Nakamura gets out of there, hits Zayn with a kick to the head. Ray comes in, hot tag, hits a code red, gets a near fall. Then everyone comes in and hits something. As you can imagine, um, eventually uh, Robert Roode catches Biggie with a spine buster. Ray kicks him over, goes for the 619, but Zane trips him. And Trey Young, the basketball player, as I mentioned earlier, is choking Mysterio on the bottom rope when we get the whole, you're out of here, to a massive reaction again from the crowd. Uh, Ray and Dominic double 619 on Sami Zayn. Biggie hits the big ending, one, two, three, and post-match. Hey, Kyla! Speaks to Big E in the ring. He says it might not be the last time we see him out here tonight. Uh, he says he doesn't care if it's Bobby Lashley or Roman Reigns. He's coming for your neck if you've got what he needs. Hamlet. Um, You called this fun, and I would say that's the exact description of a match like this. There would have been a time, right, where something like this would have felt like filler or a, a breather on a, on a proper wrestling show, on a card that's been booked. Now... It's necessary because so little of WWE is fun. So for them to be able to exhibit that they can still have it and present it was quite welcome. There's not enough of this generally now. Again, like it, be it bears repeating. There was once a time where this existed for people to go for a piss or to go and buy a T-shirt 
Whereas now it's like, oh, thank God, like people still maybe like working here. Just sometimes. <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's still like on-screen evidence that there are perks to this dream job. Um, so it's become something different in 2021 WWE, and that's exactly what it was. Not an ounce of fat on it, which was just great. Um, it didn't need any longer than it got. And here's where we can start like pick at things. There's a reason this needed a little longer than it got, because outside of Big E, and it's only because he's got the briefcase, um, and I guess the Mysterios, which was put on the back burner this week, nobody in this match has got out going on. None of them. Like, Sami Zayn was really funny this week, and he's really funny any week that he comes out. He can find heat, and he, he will do. He'll locate it. Apollo Crews has got nout happening. The Dirty Dogs was theoretically in the thing with Tony Storm. Where was she again this week? That was oh, yeah. one and done. You know, like, none of them have got out happening. So instead, just do this. So I was a fan of this, but to, if we're going to analyse this show and say, yes, really fun multi-man, high spots, cool use of a local sports heel and getting the out of there before anyone can get bored, tremendous. But what does it say about WWE's best wrestling show, capital B, capital W, capital S, that, like, 10 guys have got virtually nothing else to do any other week? I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer, but like those are the those are the two takes, and I think they can both coexist, unlike most WWE tag teams. I have to echo those sentiments entirely. Like the curve is so wretchedly low that in WWE, inessential fluff becomes life affirming. Like that is an indictment in a half mm. in how much this is enjoyable. And another indictment is that WWE's approach generally is to make fans not particularly happy. They don't do things to make them happy. They do things to make them a little bit annoyed and knocked in the hope that they'll keep coming back and coming back. And, you know, again, the building is so fitting for what we saw later in the night. In that building, the entire crux of drawing the money was beat up Sam Martino, beat up Sam Martino, DQ the heel, DQ the heel, DQ the heel. And when he come back at the end of the month, he'll win. And you see so much of it, despite the fact that it's for years, <laughs> it literally wasn't a no live event business. And it's been a TV business for longer, way longer than the pandemic. And you still get these booking patterns. So when you get reprieve from them, a seven minute, was it? Seven minute multi-man spot fest where it's simply too quick moving to become drab. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how under some of these guys are. What they did was... They did a nice bit of house show adjacent television that was fun. And they localized the segment so well that the fun and the catharsis from the crowd bled through the TV screen. I don't even follow the NBA. These are the things that we used to get so annoyed by, if you recall, mm. um, like two, three years ago. Insert local sports team sucks. All right, okay. Well, I've never lived through a pandemic before. So I'm getting bored of this. Now, localise all content <laughs> to maximise the crowd volume because it's actually loud and it's life-affirming. And this somehow was. Then we got a contract signing uh, for Extreme Rules between uh, Becky Lynch, our women's champion, and Bianca Belair. Belair's out first. She gets on the mic. She says... Look, she respects Becky Lynch as a competitor and she uh, used to respect that Becky would never run from a fight, but things have changed now. Um, she talks about Becky bringing up how short their match was at SummerSlam because she believes that Becky knows that if they had a real match, it would be different. She doesn't respect Becky as much anymore. Extreme rules, Becky can win back some of that respect and Belair is going to win back her title. She signs the contract, and here comes Becky Lynch. She comes down. She calls herself the original WrestleMania main eventer. She said uh, she knew she had Belair's number at SummerSlam when she saw Belair's face. She was starstruck, and you can either be a fan or be the man. Um, she's even cocky enough to say if she'd have had the title match tonight, she'd have probably beaten Belair in 20 seconds, but we'll never know. And then she asks what if I don't sign this contract? And everyone goes, hey, come on. But You've got the title stripped. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations. But thankfully, Belair gets the uh, the crowd to do a uh, sign it chant. And uh, Becky does the old, I was sitting at home listening to you people chant, we want Becky. And I came back last minute and saved everyone's ass. And now I'm treated like this. I left my baby girl at home for these people. And you're supporting me, supporting a flash in the pan over me. Um, 
And then I think she's like, think, at some point in here, she had, a, she had a great line where she said, if you can't join them, beat them. Um, and she uh, then promises she's going to beat Belair the same way she did at SummerSlam at Extreme Rules, signs the contract and walks away with a ridiculous fur coat and sunglasses and championship held high. See, what do you reckon about what they're doing with this uh, Becky Lynch heel turn? Um, I don't want to go over all Grant, but I was getting pig sick of her in early 2020. I think potentially it wasn't the very best idea because the absence and time converges to make them become baby faces, whether they're heels when they were originally um, going off on hiatus. But look, we at least are not getting meme Becky Lynch. And she was like chasing three-year-old Conor McGregor impressions and like two-year-old memes. <laughs> and that was absolutely woeful stuff. This is a little bit different. Um I guess the nicest thing I can say about all of this, because I don't really like her sub-Connor impression at all, if I'm being perfectly honest. I like the impetus behind these segments and this program more than I like the content of them. What I mean by that is it's kind of a show of faith. And I'm mm. going to get made a complete tear off in about three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Or at least <laughs> but I mean, if you stack everything up, I will take a push with conviction where the hell I can get it. When I watch Bianca Belair, in segments like this, I just enjoy it, irrespective of the kind of cliched content, the mostly forgettable dialogue. It doesn't hook into your head like a great Miro or Eddie Kingston line, anything that was said in the segment. I just enjoy the fact that they appear to be going all the way with Bianca Belair, because what, what a rare stratosphere that is. There's such a select few WWE talents who, when I watch, I'm thinking, this is not a waste of my time. Mm. I'm not going to sit here in three months and just think, oh, that was a waste of my time. And it's always dangerous putting someone newer in with someone like a Becky Lynch who's adored by the crowd, who's trying to make them boo her as well. Yeah, I mean, loud reactions count for so much. And yeah, that's a good point. Um, loud reactions count for so much. The conviction behind the Bianca Belair can push us for so much. There's still a little bit of... Ah, uh, shut up, man. I wish I hadn't done that to the content. Bianca Belair talking about the real quiz. <laughs> oh, this one didn't count. It's like, well, it did the bell run. Hmm. And Becky Lynch going, what happens if I don't sign the contract? Well, we'll just strip you the title. <laughs> hmm. You know, but ultimately, there are performers here that WWE are invested in. And this is reflected in the crowd who are hot for the segment. So... At least I wasn't wasting my time. Mm. Hamlet, what did you think of a rare contract signing that went to plan? Yeah, it was. I kind of like echo those thoughts really, Cedric. It was. This was decent stuff for the most part. They are very effectively, I think, based on those crowd reactions and based on my own sort of gut feeling, they are effectively selling you on a pay per view match. This is not a contract signing that exists to fill a week of storyline. It has furthered a, an angle that is getting you more progressively hit for the match. I think that I, I like mentioned this on our preview on Friday. I think there's a lot to like about this match. Becky Lynch wasn't so great in the, she was good in the ring, but not so great that I'll miss her as the like firing up baby face. I think she'll be great as a heel working against Bianca Belair as a baby face. I think there's a lot to get excited about for the, the proper match between them. Um, Obviously, you know, because, you know, we don't really, much like Bianca Belair, we don't really need to count SummerSlam. So mm -hmm. this is going to feel every bit the first match between them. So I'm, I'm very excited for their, their in-ring chemistry. And this is doing a decent job. Uh, if WWE wasn't so fundamentally broken, SummerSlam would have resonated as a heel turn and you would have been able to get in from the off rather than it have this really awkward start. And as Cedric said, this kind of feeling of like, ah, like you've just turned the person that people were like really excited to see back. But to WWE's credit or to Becky Lynch's credit or to ever had this thought, use that. She wasn't lying. You're chanting my name. I come back. I do this one thing that there's no reason for me not to do. And I lose. And like all of a sudden I lose the people. You know, like I, I actually quite like that they've chosen to use that. There is a plot hole here that I would like them to acknowledge. And they never will. I just want to raise it because I'm feeling like a bit of a pedantic prick. Becky Lynch said she answered the call Last minute to come back and save SummerSlam. That means Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville made a call. Why did they not tell the audience that they'd made a call to Becky Lynch and that Sasha Banks wasn't going to be on the show? Why didn't they tell us about the show change, Paul? <laughs> like, <laughs> about the show. 
That is an acknowledgement that internally they knew Sasha Banks couldn't make it. Why would they sell advertising on the pre-show? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. We go uh, backstage. Uh, Paul Heyman is uh, talking business on his phone. Uh, Shotzi and Knox roll past in their tank, offer him a ride, and then run off to allow a jump scare effectively from Kayla Braxton. I do like the dynamic between Paul Heyman and Kayla Braxton. Uh, this time she's questioning Paul about Roman accepting Brock's challenge. And Heyman says, look, Roman is focused on the Usos defending their tag team titles later on. He'll address Brock at the end of the show. And he turns around to see Biggie there stood with his money in the bank briefcase. What do you think about this, this dynamic that they keep having with, with Biggie just very much, you know, the elephant in the room, so to speak? I think it's fine as long as he keeps winning. Um, he, he won the big match here. He got like a massive response from the crowd as he like typically does, but without a storyline or if he, if he has that money in the bank curse where he starts losing weekly, it's a lot harder to do, yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna just got pinned tonight, but I've got one eye on your champion, Paul Him, and I'm there. This is again, it's this is the real quiz stuff, so it's fine as it is now because he looks like he's got all this momentum and all this positivity, and things are going great. While Paul Heyman's like life is spiraling, and he should indeed feel nervous. And indeed, if at pay per views, MVP wants to do, uh, you know, Biggie wants to do the same thing to MVP, for example, when mm-hmm. Bobby Lashley's going to be there because all the wrestlers are going to be together, all great. It only works if the guy holding the briefcase is actually credible. If they just try and have the cake and eat it and start beating him on TV every week, or he doesn't get a storyline again soon, I think it feels a bit hollow. I just wish you would just call a shot in advance. This is a traffic and engagement content company. It's not a company that tells traditional pro wrestling storylines, one of which would be the big chase for the baby face. It's an anti-chase, what the baby faces who have this briefcase do. It's fundamentally piss-poor storytelling. It frames the baby faces who hold the briefcases as opportunistic chances. Like, I don't want to resent Big E, but like already there's an inkling of, I'll just call you a shot. You're, you're meant to be a baby face. So the more they dick about with these teasers and hints and threats that he's going to just win a match for free, just pisses me off. See, I'm being perfectly honest. I, I'm glad he hasn't. A, because I like the... 
long nature of a money in the bank uh, briefcase being held over the title because so often they just burn through this concept. And B, because when we have boring pay-per-views and I'm running out of stuff to talk about and to put on a thing, I can just put oh, big e-cash in tonight, you reckon? So. Yeah, like don't look at it with your content head. I know you're being <laughs> facetious, but I'd rather, that's what they are doing. They mm. know that when they do a drab pay-per-view after a few weeks of drab TV, when Lesnar's gone back to the farm after Saudi Arabia, and you're in December time and the Rumble's not here yet. They've just got their engagement up their sleeve. All right, let's get Big E with a title. And let's plot a babyface storyline that people can invest in. And for me, this isn't it. They're cheating. They're taking shortcuts. Oh, well, speaking of taking shortcuts, very nice seg that. We've got to talk about Seth Rollins versus Edge. They had uh, arguably the best match at SummerSlam and a sensational uh, second here. Um Really enjoyed these two working together again, given plenty of time on SmackDown as well. Uh, Edge starts the match immediately going after Rollins's arm. Rollins, though, uh, is not going after Edge's neck. He's going after his legs. He's kicking the leg out of his leg. Drop kicks it early on, sends Edge out of the ring, throws him into the barricade. Uh, Edge fights back, goes to spear him, jumping off the apron, but Rollins hits him with a knee and then follows that up with a suicide dive as we go to break. Later on, uh, Rollins uh, is going for the execution. They sort of counter back and forth. Uh, Rollins sets up the pedigree. Edge counters. Edge hits a pedigree for a really good near fall. Uh, he goes up to the top. Rollins uh, goes to hit him with the uh, superplex, but Edge counters face buster and locks in the education submission. Rollins eventually gets out of that. He tries to cross face Edge, but Edge avoids it, gets one of his own, cranks on it, uh, switches to a choke, bounces Rollins' head off the mat. Uh, but Rollins has, uh, has got himself close enough to the ropes to, to get onto them and, and force the break. Uh, Edge goes for a spear, but Rollins spins that into a neck breaker. He goes for a stomp. Edge hits a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. Edge goes for a superplex. Rollins grabs him. My heart is in my mouth as he hits Edge with a buckle bomb. Rollins goes for the stomp again, but Edge hits a spear out of nowhere for a, another fantastic near fall. Uh Edge is again going to go for some sort of submission uh, and they accidentally take the referee and, and uh, back her into the corner. That allows Rollins, as the referee is trying to get out of this, to spin around and hit Edge with a low blow behind the referee's back. He hits Edge with super kick after super kick after super kick. Edge will not stay down. He's, he's you know, there's nothing behind his eyes there, but he's still sat up. Uh, Rollins screams at him, super kicks him again, and then eventually hits the stomp for the one, two, three. And post-match, uh, big concern, the very serious voices being put on by the commentators. Out come the EMTs, they put him on a stretcher, they take him out. Uh, and when we come back, uh, Edge is being put in an ambulance, surrounded by his fellow superstars. Rollins watches the ambulance leave and gets asked, you know, how he's feeling. And he didn't know how to feel, what he should feel right now. And he might not feel anything at all. Uh, I know you're a big fan, Sige, of their SummerSlam match. How did this compare? I think I prefer the SummerSlam one, if I'm being honest. I'm going to say all the nice things. All the nice things. It was a long, long TV match that kept the audience on the hook throughout the duration. They were very loud. They were very appreciative of the story being told. Therefore, it was a big success in the arena. Um, it was really nicely worked. It was really dramatic. But why is Seth Rollins so violent? That's a question I couldn't stop asking myself here. I understand the theoretical heft of such a match, but for the last two and a bit, one and a bit years, one and a half years, I've lost track of freaking time. <laughs> if Seth Rollins went a little, uh, if Edge went a bit more Shawn Michaels in terms of how he's curated this injury or this vulnerable body part over that a length of time, I think this would have been way more effective. Um, I don't know, I just think I was getting told more than I was shown. And if all of this is leading to, it just feels like they're just faffing about, <laughs> faffing about with these characterizations and it's way more clever in their heads than it is on screen. Melodramatic, why am I so violent? Seth Rollins. Uh, like, just be a heel, for Christ's sake. Like, this company's not good at this ambitious stuff. Mm. Be a heel, go after the neck. Enjoy the neck. Enjoy the fact that you've nearly crippled your opponent. If, in fact, you are conflicted and it's going to lead to a heel turn, 
Don't put Seth Rollins in the spot because we know you can't lead this company as a heel, you just, uh, as a baby face. You absolutely can't do it. Um, look, this is 24 long minutes. And another nice thing I'll say about it is usually, if a match is like, oh, it's good, but it's not great. Now these uh, commercial breaks are a bit of a nuisance, actually. I generally felt watching this like, all right, okay, well, I'm on the hook, so I'll go past mm, the commercial yeah. breaks. I won't let it ruin my enjoyment of it. Um, I just don't know why it's so violent. <laughs> and I didn't really. There was no acute. Oh, at the finish, I don't do that one. Yeah, I, was I didn't more get cons- that. I didn't get that feeling, so I'm not going to lie. I was more concerned by a buckle bomb than a stomp for, for me, but that's maybe because you know the, the stings. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't, when he did the finish, I didn't get that. Oh my god, that was a very risky spot. I didn't get that visceral feeling, so I'm not going to pretend that I did for the sake of reviewing it favorably. So I thought it was really well done, in spite of the staginess to mm. it. Pamphlet, I want to talk to you about Rollins' hospitalising Edge. A quick word on Edge's gear as well. Oh, lush. Um, if you're going to wear gear ahead of taking six months off, why not wear pink and black when your guy against is wearing white and gold, as somebody kindly pointed out on Twitter. I think I'll, I'll, I'll take it, you know, the crumbs, basically. Aye, Edge look class. He's a he's Canadian wrestling icon. He's allowed to pay tribute to the legend, isn't he? Um, the melodrama was a bit much for me because I kind of, you know, Seth Rollins doesn't know how to feel like until next week when he comes out on SmackDown and he says, you know, guys, last week I said, I didn't know how to feel. And I went home and I thought about it and I feel absolutely great. Like it's just (laughs) tremendous. Like it just, that's what he's going to feel, you know, so I just mania. Like, he He was more shocked by the stomp than any of us. Like, going for the, oh, God, should I go for the pin off my finisher? Oh, God, the finisher's (laughs) got me the win. Like, I I completely share Cedric's take there that that I didn't, like, feel that sense of shock. But I really did like the finish off a match that I thought was tremendous. Um, It's not easy to milk hitting each other's finishes, being a better version of the other person, going you know, going to the well with all these old moves. It's not easy to milk that over and over again and keep it effective. And they managed it over two long matches. And I think they deserve some credit for that. They found times to deploy the stuff in the matches that felt like surprises. Um, the reaction that pedigree got, man. Triple H has never had one as big as that. <laughs> like he's, only, he's only had one reaction as, as big as that pedigree. And it was in that building once. And he had to get like three months of YouTube videos to get that. Like the they the way they in both matches, the way they used all these moves from each other's repertoires, really, really great. Because I think just because it's fun to do on the video game, it's not always uh, elegantly applied in matches. And I thought they did a great job in both matches. I also like like the stomp more as like on paper as an idea for a finisher than I did in execution, because it was Seth doing away with all of this, gotta get in each other's heads got to be the better version of you all of that nonsense and he went with his kill shot he pushed all that to one side and he thought i can do this why have i been worried about trying to be a better edge when the whole thing i had in my head was that i can just be the best seth rollins and i can put him down and out with my finisher and he did and i thought all of that is pretty cool in the planning stages I, i don't think it quite landed as effectively on screen but this is maybe the edge formula now you know he goes away for a few more months whether it's rumble season or when, I don't know, whenever, but you sense that this is a write-off and that's not the worst thing in the world as well. We've had a nice amount of edge, but he's a guy that it's too easy to um, stop feeling excited about. And I think he's a guy, his, his specialness wanes quicker. I don't know why that is. And I just think it's maybe bad luck with some wrestlers, but his specialness seems to wane quicker than a lot of others. So him disappearing again for a few months isn't the worst thing either. Could come back on top of a gritting truck as well. Why? <laughs> I wish sometimes people could see your face when I pitch this bollocks. Uh, right, before the main event, Roman's given a bow talk to the Usos. Um, they say they're going to retain the titles and make, make their family cry. That was such a good fight. It's going to take on me for the rest of the day. That. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, uh, Reigns turned to Heyman and said he saved him. So why didn't you tell me that Brock was going to be at SummerSlam? 
Heyman didn't have an answer. So many event time. It is the Usos uh, versus the Street Profits for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Look, we know what these two teams can do together. They work brilliantly. Uh, Montez Ford actually got a near fall immediately after the bell, hitting a drop kick on Jimmy Uso. Um, Ford knocks Jey Uso off the apron, but Jimmy takes advantage, hits a suicide dive. Dawkins fights back. He sends the Usos to the floor, and then Ford hits a huge, bonkers dive that Pat McAfee marks out for, wipes out the Usos. That brings Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman down to ringside as we go to the break. Uh, when we come back, uh, they're in control of Dawkins. Jay goes for a Samoan drop. Dawkins counters, hits a twisting neck breaker. Ford hits a flying crossbody on Jimmy for a near fall. Ford hits a super kick on Jay, loses his shoe in the process. Crowd loved that. Great reaction to it. Ford just hoys the shoe in the air and hit a running blockbuster on Jimmy for a near fall. They go for the sort of doomsday blockbuster next on Jimmy uh, off of uh, Dawkins' shoulders for Ford. That gets a really good near fall. Uh, Dawkins avoids Jay, uh, but Jimmy nails him with a super kick. Uh, Ford and uh, Jay Uso roll to the outside. They're brawling out there. Uh, Dawkins rolls up Jimmy. Then Jay catches Dawkins with another super kick. Jimmy hits him with a super kick. Jay hits a splash. Another brilliant two count here. The Street Profits are fighting back. Uh, they hit, hit a sequence of moves that allows Ford to hit that brilliant, one of the best in the world, one of the best ever, frog splash. They've clearly got the match won. They're about to be crowned SmackDown Tag Team Champions when in dives Roman Reigns attacks DQ, puts the guillotine, chokes out Montez Ford as the uh, the Usos beat up Dawkins. Reigns is furious. He grabs the mic. He accepts Brock Lesnar's challenge, and he says, I'm going to smash Lesnar just like I smashed, and I'm going to smash again Finn Balor at Extreme Rules. All of a sudden, the lights go out, and the demon of Finn Balor uh, appears Huge bap. Um, he comes down to the ring, goes face-to-face with Roman Reigns to close out the show. Uh, Hamlet, we'll talk about the demon in a second. What did you make of the match first? Disappointing conclusion, of course, but, uh, you know, really enjoyable on the way. Yeah, this was a, a proper, proper trust the workers, not the process match. Um, Montez Ford is wrestling in a way at the moment that he is forcing you to care and forcing you to emotionally invest, even if you cannot in the stories or whatever the Street Profits are up to from week to week. He is wrestling like a dark elevation regular that has been given one match on Dynamite. That's the best pro wrestling example I can think of now. Every single week, he is just making your eyes pop out your head. He is You can just see it in him. He is going to force through your enthusiasm for his work, and I guess by default, the Street Profits work. And... It's happened here to such an extent that the, the it was a rare case of a screwy finish feeling like an injustice on the baby faces than on us, the viewers. That was my genuine takeaway, and it's because Montez Ford deserves all the flowers. They're going to win the titles when the time is right. You know, when the time is right to strip a bit of gold away from the bloodline, that's what this is being set up for. And I have to believe that because I watch... Montez Ford do this every week now. It's every single week. And this was the best of the bunch. And why not when you're in Madison Square Garden as well? And I don't think that's going unnoticed by WWE as well. Rare for them to show even an ounce of subtlety. But did you notice a couple of times in this match, very specifically when Montez Ford was on offense, that it cut to Roman Reigns trying to take this in and pinpoint the threat. He had his like predator goggles on and he was looking think he's the problem here. Yeah. He's a genuine threat to this control that we've got over SmackDown. We run this town, as he said, and it's like, there's a guy. Like I think unusually for WWE, they were doing a very quiet job of telling us, the viewers, through Roman Reigns, that he's one to watch beyond tag team frivolities. Mm-hmm. And I love that too. Hate the finish, but honestly, one of the rare times where I thought it was a little bit, a little bit in service of the narrative. Again, if WWE don't completely bastardize cheap finishes and, and run-ins, every now and then you can do this. I'm, I'm the sports entertainment guy. I have no problem with this every now and then because this should be a cutoff for the Street Profits getting their day in the sun. But this is every week on every show and every match. So it doesn't feel like that. Anyway, it doesn't resonate in the way it's supposed to. But yeah, cannot praise Montez Ford enough. The Usos are perfect for a team like the Street Profits, just like they're perfect for most teams in fairness. And the day will come where the Street Profits will get the belt, and I think it'll be fantastic. 
I've seen the day where they work 15 minutes. That's my problem with it. 15 minutes to go to this result. Like, could they not have had Selena Vega work a five minute match <laughs> as was promised? Mm. And to not go, if you're going to tell the story, and again, it's, it's very fitting that the show was held in MSG because for years the formula was screw the baby face, DQ, 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 and then they win the day. It's such antiquated, passe, relic, corny booking. And it doesn't matter to me at this point that you stick it really strong. Like this, I hate this expression because I'm 35 years old and I'm 36 this month. And I feel like, uh, like how do you do fellow kids? For a WWE TV match, this kind of hit different. I don't know if it was MSG or if it was just because Ford was so spectacular as Hamlet rightfully pointed out. This is getting to that gear, that elusive, oh Christ, this is hot. But WWE tell you this is hot, this. And then everybody did that finish. And it's like, because of the rhythms of WWE's commerce, it has to be 15 minutes now because they've got no creativity. They could have just booked an angle here. No, it's match to build a match. But this match could theoretically go longer than that match. <laughs> this, could go, this could go 12 to 14 on a pay-per-view. It's just not the way to book. It's not the way for me to really want to see this team get their hard-earned win when we've seen this exact match. I was pissed off. I think I was more pissed off than I am usually because this was getting to that point, that boiling point of hot actual action on a WWE TV show. And I should have expected better of myself than to feel something. <laughs> Uh, they teased it last week, uh, and the demon appeared post-match, of course, Sidge. Uh, what do you make of him confronting Roman Reigns and the prospect of the demon challenging for the title? I mean, I'm cold on all of it, if I'm being honest. Um, because there's an instant, ah, should they do this? Because you know what's happening. Like, the demon's not going over you know, mm-hmm. the tribal chief. So you're going to lose the power of the demon, but how much power does the demon have anymore? I loved Finn Balor's um, inspiration behind doing this. He is such a clever bloke, and it just proves that even clever, aspirational guys just cannot succeed in this system. He thought, right, I'm going to be the chimpanzee super worker. Six days of the week, that'll get me over with the hard calls, that will mobilise them to support me, maybe if the booking lets me down, or if I'm on a three-hour Raw show and just everything just starts to sink and slide but also I've got this character with which I can sell toys which Vince McMahon is going to love I just thought the whole bit was so inspired that he had and he just gathered all that intel almost when he was in New Japan to jump when the time was right and now he's probably going to lose to Roman Reigns or at least he's not going to win I mean fair play if he does I look like an idiot and it looks like they've actually pushed someone but at the same time the guy's 40 years old and the demon realistically is a storytelling device never once hit ceiling so how much of a loss would it be I'm just cold on all of it because I feel like it's a desperate way of juicing something up that feels like an obligation. I, it's the first point I think we've disagreed on this podcast. I, I really like that booking. Um, I maybe it's just a maybe there's a coldness towards the demon in the sense that I'm ready to see it sacrificed. I guess, mm. but um, you can always I've come been, up with another dark gimmick, like. <laughs> I've, I've, Oh, that's a praise. It's not be the blue demon, that's a trademark. It could be like, I don't know, different color. <laughs> it's pink. just going to be everything, everything wrestling in pink is good. So yeah, it could be the pink demon. It's just going to be a new and instantly reheated demon one day when he like links back up with the young books and Carl Anderson. It's going to be fine, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, like, and nobody will give a toss, it'll be class. Um, yeah, like I've been, I've praised WWE on other podcasts about their ability to build up a good B-show opponent for Roman Reigns time after time because they're kind of the defences that you forget about when you're doing the big picture stuff. Everybody has mapped out Cena and Brock and I guess everybody's looked towards Rock, fingers crossed at some point or another, but that doesn't account for months and months and months of matches and rivals for Roman Reigns. And I think they're doing a really good job with his B-show opponents and I think this is another one. Uh, Nobody thinks the Demon will beat him, I don't think. Uh, even though he's the demon, which speaks to the success of the tribal chief gimmick. Um, but like with Edge, less so with Cesaro, but certainly like with Edge, and I guess a little bit Drew McIntyre, I thought the match sucked. They will find you a two count probably 
in this match. They'll find you the, I guess like with Daniel Bryan would be another example from SmackDown earlier this year. They will find you a near fall. They will find you a moment um, where you think that he's actually going to come undone. And I think that's the benefit of using this demon character. Now, fans went banana for it. And I think they probably will at the pay-per-view too. It's nice to see this character back. Mm. Like it's, it's been, he's, he's sat back on it for a long time. Am I misremembering or was the last time he, so the, other than that SummerSlam, unannounced SummerSlam squash, was the last advertised demon match a Saudi Arabia win over Andrade in the mid card? Yes. Oh yeah. That's, like, so they were tossing it off, you know, they were throwing it away. So they've like, it's been that long that I think let this go out in style. I think it's a pretty cool main event. Like I think, it'll play, I think it'll play as that on the night as well. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens with this Extreme Rules. Uh, and I thought it was a really good ending to a fantastic episode of SmackDown. But let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch they you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... At M Sidgwick. Sorry, we're talking about Rampage later. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, as I mentioned, the AW Rampage review and the Raw preview to come later on today. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to What Culture Wrestling. Leave us a five-star review and suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to do as part of the five-star review review on the Raw review tomorrow. But for now, this has been the SmackDown Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.